This is the Herb Mendelssohn Story. Episode 5, The Next Generation, Part 1. In the first four episodes of the Herb Mendelssohn Story, you learned about the life and times of Herb from the man himself, as well as from his wife, Phyllis, his children, and from other relatives and friends. In this episode, you'll hear from the next generation, from Herb's grandchildren, about their favorite memories of Zadie Herbie, as they called him, what they learned from him, and what he meant to them. First up, Herb's grandson, Ben. He's a nice person. He teaches things to his grandchildren. He calls me for my help. He tells me about whatever's going on in the news and stuff. He has taken me to McDonald's. He's taken me to Somerset. He's taken me to the bank. He likes to help me out. He likes to teach me where places are on the map, the proper way to act when you're around other people. This happened on Saturday, July 20th, last year. I went down to Phyllis to see how she was doing. And then my Zadie um, called me upstairs to help him. And then I went up to help him scan things on the computer. I was scanning pictures of a bat mitzvah. I even learned about percentages. He taught me about things that are like half of certain numbers or like how to, it's like how to do a tip at a restaurant. On September 6, 2008, when I went down to his house for a French toast, before Phyllis cooked me French toast on September 6, 2008, which uh, I was in first grade back then, and, and before Phyllis cooked me French toast, Zadie asked Phyllis, is Ben around? I need some help with putting something together. She responded, yes, and while I cook him French toast, I'll send him upstairs to help you. And then Phyllis asked me, would you please go help Zadie? put together what he needs to put together. And my response was yes. And would you please call me when my French toast is ready? And then she said, yes. I don't know what Zadie had to put together, but I think he had to screw something together. And by the time that my French toast was ready, I, I was all done helping my Zadie. Next up, Herb's grandson, Carl. When I was spending time with uh, Zadie Herbie, how I call him, it was just, you know, this is the thing we're doing. We're doing it together. And uh, certainly this will come up sooner or later, but the thing that we were usually doing was fixing toilets. <laughs> maybe, maybe not all the time, but it's certainly one of the strongest memories uh, was this toilet needs to be fixed. So let's go get the parts. Let's talk about how how these things work, very mechanically oriented, and we would uh, learn how to fix it. And lessons like that have uh, stayed with and become useful. Certainly knowing how to fix a toilet is one of those things that never goes out of style. But more on the man himself, you know, Zadie is a person who tries to be very deliberate about everything. He sort of always prepared for every situation, doesn't like to just go at something off the cuff he he always at least to me as a child he always seemed like really prepared for everything we're going to this show and we're just walking straight in everything's set up knows exactly where to park always has a smile on and i think the big thing for me as a child you know was 
the fact that it never felt like he treated me like a child. And it didn't matter how old I was, whether I'm thinking about when he lived at the old house, and I only knew him living at two places, his house in Southfield and his house in Huntington Woods. Uh, and he moved when I was five or six. So these are very young memories. But whether it was playing chess with him at the old house or going to work with him later, you know, certainly I recognized that you know, I wasn't being given the full treatment on how to be a doctor, you know, textbook style. But it never felt like he was treating me as less than. It just felt like he was talking to me. And that was something that always made it nice to be around him. The way I remember a day in the office went something like this. We would get up and we'd drive out there and from a child's perspective, was always interminably far away. He, he'd usually talk about what we would be seeing that day. We're going to see a broken arm. We're going to see a broken leg, something like that. This would be like the old hospital wing. So we'd go up to a floor. We'd see a patient, and it'd be like, all right, so this guy slipped and fell, and he broke his hip, and I replaced his hip. And, you know, he'd talk through, here's what I did, and now I'm going to go ahead and work this guy's leg. And the whole time he'd be making jokes about, you know, how this guy, you know, he was the first to see the accident. Did he see the other guy? Oh, he did it to himself. Well, then he must have really got the other guy good, you know, something like that. He 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 always had one for every situation, and I could never remember any of them. He would, and if it was somebody who was from a foreign country, he always knew five words in every language, not five words that made a sentence or a phrase, just five random words that he could use to brighten somebody's day. And he always seemed to do that. So we'd wander around, we'd see those patients, we'd duck in and out of the break room, grabbing a coffee and or donut. He didn't really grab much of that. He'd grab the coffee, I grabbed the donut, and... Then it would be off to go to the x-ray room and run down and look at some x-rays. And he always liked to put the x-rays up and actually ask me what we were looking at, ask me you know, what I thought of it, you know, could I recognize where the break was. Some of these were much easier than others. There was always the you know, 12-year-old kid who broke his arm. And it's pretty obvious where that was because it's a nice clean break and it was a you could see the arm going in two different directions and then at other times it would be uh, a guy with you know it's like do you see what's wrong here i I don't even know which body part we're looking at well that's okay because you know obviously you don't look at a lot of x-rays and then that was the nice thing it was it was never if i didn't understand it it was never never felt bad for that just felt like all right here's another thing to learn I don't know how many of the days ended with uh, grabbing Arby's sandwiches, but certainly many of them did. He was a big fan of the five for five when they had those, and he'd, we'd grab those, and I'd eat as many of them as I could, which, depending how old I was, was between one half and three. We'd throw the rest in the freezer and often grab them out of the freezer on the way to the office another day. <laughs> You know, I've heard stories of how he he would take his kids into work with him, and I don't think there was, strictly speaking, any any ulterior motive. I think some of it was just, like, you know, that's what you did. You brought your kids into work, you showed them what you did, and if they got something out of that, great. I think it was one of those, you know, sort of classic father mentality things where it's like, this is me being a man, you know, 
This is me taking responsibility. This is me doing my work here. Have a look. This is, this is what you do. This is how you get by in the world. And, and I think in, in, in part with him demonstrating how to be in the world, you know, to always be pleasant, like, you know, the one or two times that we got pulled over cause he was, you know, racing cause he was running behind cause we were always running just a, a little behind and a little had a very widespread of value. But, you know, even when we get pulled over, he was never, never rude to an officer, never mean. I think my mom can probably tell you the story about him pulling over and saving somebody's life because he just saw an accident and wanted to help somebody. I don't personally have experience with that, but I do remember on the way to the office one day, we saw a woman just walking on the side of the road on the freeway just alone and my grandfather immediately like just pulled over and I think it was me and one of my cousins and we were like you know Zadie what are you doing and he's like just walking at the side of the road alone I'm not gonna leave her there and we're like but you don't know who she is or anything it's like so that's just the way he was it was you know, never too busy to help anyone I can probably sum most of that up in an experience I didn't have until I was much older, by which I mean like actually like an adult. When I was, let's say, about 20, 2021, 20, something like that, I actually spent a season or two, close to eight months working in my grandfather's office, actually like employed there doing work. And I, depending on whether it was a day when my grandfather went to the office or didn't, I was I had my own responsibilities or my responsibilities were to keep him just a little on schedule an impossible task that I did nonetheless. And the thing that struck me the most was he, he treated every patient like they were his only patient to the point that, you know, we'd start off running 15 minutes late and we'd end the day running three hours late. And at one point that meant that I had to go out to somebody sitting out in the waiting room and just say like, he got called into a surgery, you know, somebody came in from the ER, they wanted him to go operate, he went and operated, you know, it's probably going to be another two hours till he can see you, do you want to reschedule? And they were like, no, we'll wait. I sat down next to them, I just said, you know, no offense, but why? And they said to me, you know, because he's the only doctor we've ever been to who makes us feel like we're respected, who who feels like he actually listens to us and cares about us. So if we have to wait all day to see him, we will. That, I think, is the biggest thing that struck me, is whether he was seeing some five-year-old kid who fell and broke their arm and he was helping taking their cast off, or an 80-year-old person who he was helping putting the cast on, as it were, were he, he always treated them like they were you know, the most important person. And it really resonated how to treat people and how to, how to make them feel respected by respecting them was the thing that I really took away the most from spending time with him in the office. And I think it served me well. Like, I'm, I'm very grateful for that time. Man, it's funny the way that the memories kind of blur together in some sense, because when you're so young, I don't have a memory of this, but I was recently, I've been helping my grandfather archive a bunch of his old everything. I got him set up on his computer with a scanner, and he's just been going through his scrapbooks and just digitizing everything since we 
since I understood what he needed to get this project done, he's uploaded some two or three terabytes of documents and videos all on his own. Very impressive. And among those, I came across a video of him taking me to a junkyard and we were looking for parts to something. And I don't, I don't exactly remember it. You know, I remember going, you know, the way I remember it, it was going with my grandfather somewhere to, you know, buy something. It didn't, you know, only in the video do I understand that we're in a junkyard in a place covered with, you know, metal. But, you know, my grandfather wasn't ashamed to go to a junkyard to find the parts for whatever he needed because that's what he needed. You know, I had a great connecting thought there. The other thing we would do during the summers, my 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 grandmother's sister lived basically on the opposite side of the block. Like the houses weren't literally back to back, but they were very close. And we would he would always take us swimming uh, when there was no work to do and no show to go to. We just hop in the car, drive around the block, and go in the pool. And he was great fun in the pool. He was oh he was always that guy who was you know picking us up and throwing us, you know flying us around as it were going to the pool was tons of fun with him and we just you know slip in there and it was you know family that was that was the other thing that he liked to impart that you know it shouldn't be barriers between family and you know you have a pool so we're gonna come over and use it because <laughs> that's just kind of how he was it's just like why shouldn't we do that and going to the pool with him was great fun. It was that was that was something he usually did with both my older sister and I, as opposed to just her or just me. And then we got to fight over who got his attention more in the pool. Zadie Herbie is a strong-willed and also strong. He's a very direct man. One of my earliest memories of him is him, you know teaching me how to, you know, do a handshake, you know, this is the right way, you know, you put your hand in here, you make sure you got a nice firm grip, and then he always used that as an opportunity to demonstrate how firm his grip was, and you, know, you look somebody in the eye and you say, hello, and you give them a smile, and, you know, just extrapolating that onto everything else, it was always, you know, you you take somebody's hand, you you, you bring them into your life, you look him straight in the eye, you give him a smile, and you say hello. And that's the kind of person that he was. And now, Herb's granddaughter, Ella. My earliest memory of him was I had this little toy buggy that I would carry all my dolls around in, and it had a messed up screw, and it would always, like, bounce and fall apart, and it bugged me, and it would, like, do the thing where... You would put pressure on one side and it would just tip over completely. So we took it to him and he fixed it. And I was so happy, me and my little three-year-old self. When Ariel and Jacob were born, that's my cousin's kids, so my cousin once removed. When they were born, we built a crib. And the people who were building the crib were was my grandfather, our family friend Jerry, and me. Because my grandfather was stubborn and he didn't want to go and have someone hired to build a crib he could do that by himself so he called on me to help him with the heavy lifting stuff and we essentially built this nice little crib for them it's kind of always been who he was he's a stubborn hard-working person i was always told he was the handyman 
around the house because they couldn't afford to call in a plumber. And so he was pretty much available. I myself am not very good with being left without instructions. And if you've ever had to do anything with an old person, you should know that you're never going to get very far unless you're there pushing because old people love to reminisce. And I would just, I'd be like, Zadie, what's the next step? What screw are we using? And he'd be like, you know, when I was younger, we used to not have screws or something like that. And I would be like, Zadie, no, we need to stay on topic. And I didn't have the directions. He was holding onto the directions and he decided he could do this without the directions. It, it took like a whole day to build this crib. You could have gotten done in four hours. It turned out pretty good, actually. It's still up in the spare room there. I remember that his Wi-Fi had a lot of issues with it. It was always sketchy, spotty, not working, and he would try to fix it without realizing that he was an old man and that it's hard to fix that problem. It was like a complicated problem, too. I remember just being told that, but not actually being told what the issue was. And so he just he refused to let anybody come in and help fix that issue. He made it a lot worse. As per all of my family, he's crazy. He's stubborn. He's very smart. He definitely has acquired a lot of stories throughout his life. He's incredible. And coming from a low life of just really having nothing to being a self-starter and becoming a doctor, getting an education, that's something you don't get to see very often, except for in the movies. And so it's interesting because it's like having a superhero as your grandfather. He likes to buy these old, broken-down cars because that's how I was told he lived. He would have these cars that you would stop and the whole car would shut down because it's like have an issue with some minor thing that he would always have to fix. And so now he buys these old cars that are not great. The last car he had, I'm pretty sure, could have exploded at any second because there was a leak in the gas tank. And all of them smell like smoke. I enjoy going out with him from the, for the times that he like lets us go out with him, but uh, don't like the smell of his cars. Don't like his cars. He's a big inspiration for me, but he, he came from nothing, and now he's a very well-known man, but not popular. Not, oh, he's on the radio. You go around to the areas where he's lived before, and people know his name. They know who he is. They've gotten help from him before. When he was practicing in his earlier days, there was a lot of segregation and he was a big believer in equality. So you'll hear these stories where he operates in secrecy because those kinds of operations weren't allowed at the time for black people. And it's, it's incredible to hear. He has a scholarship in his name, too. And I always wanted to get the scholarship till I learned that it wasn't available for me because I have money to go to college and it's for people who don't. But that's such a huge inspiration and just the amount of perseverance, the amount of crap he had to go through and made it through and the crap he still goes through. It's incredible to me. He has been practicing for a long time and he continues to practice and we don't let him do surgery because shaky hands. But uh, still, it's unbelievable that he's able to keep going until this day and have that kind of determination to do something like that. It makes me realize that if you really work hard and you play your cards, then you can get where you want to be in life. 
the advice my dad and my grandfather always told me was to marry a billionaire. You know, I think one day to work hard enough, I can do that. But that's then I have to be careful, make sure nobody's poisoning my food. That's harder. It's foolish not to dream. I'm dreaming. Scream, I'm I want them to know that he wasn't some slacker who was born into his wealth. He was the rock that our family was built upon. I've heard my dad say that many times, and I believe it too. It's generally people associate the idea of having wealth with having inherited it, and they didn't actually work for it. And this is the one of the one of the rare cases where somebody came from nothing and built everything that they ever had successfully and managed to spread that prosperity throughout the generations. And I would just want them to know that he's a good person just all around. He is constantly taking care of everybody, even sometimes when they don't deserve it. And he's always there to support somebody when they're in need. And he's never been shy about welcoming somebody to his home. I remember hearing all the dumb stories that my dad would tell me about how he was with his brothers and they set the lawn on fire. One story in particular comes to mind, actually. My grandfather got fed up with the neighbor's cotton tree from where they used to live in Southfield, I believe. You know those glasses with the nose? He put one of those on and took the uh, garage coat. So he really did, he looked like a homeless man because the garage coat was what you'd wear when you were working under the car and the oil comes on you. So he took this and he snuck over with this 10 foot extension cord and a chainsaw and just hacked at that tree and tried really to kill it. He tried to drill in it and place like poison into it. And while he's doing this, he has the disguise on so that nobody will recognize him. So he goes home and that season, that cotton tree had the biggest cotton bloom. It survived too, which was crazy. And then later they found out that the, those neighbors were actually under arrest because they were supposedly having these like drug muling interactions. And the police were surveillancing the house 24-7. So they saw my grandfather doing all of this, going across the street with the cord and the chainsaw and everything. And I think that pretty much sums up who he is as a person. Next, Herb's granddaughter, Faye. When you first meet Zadie, he will act as if you've already known each other forever. Some of it is genuine. Some of it, he just has that very warm, welcoming personality. Some of it might be a little bit of a prank. Sometimes he likes to, much like my uncle Stevie likes to do, and, and the whole family, really, my dad, they all like to kind of joke around with people. They like to find commonalities, and a lot of that comes through laughter. So they like to make you feel just slightly uncomfortable to the point where it's still friendly and familiar. He's very easy to talk to. I don't think I've ever seen him when he's not smiling in my entire life that I can recall. I started dating my boyfriend about five years ago. And I think from day one, Andrew felt like as if he was part of the family. And and he's called Zadie Zadie from the beginning that he feels as if maybe he's his grandfather as well. And that's, he just is that person. And to preface a little bit, to back preface, my family is Jewish and Andrew grew up Catholic. So to just be welcomed as a Catholic boy, like no other questions about it. Zadie sees people for who they are as people, as their person, and not what they may define themselves as. Some of my oldest memories include things like hanging out in my Zadie's home office, which was on the second floor. 
And in his home office, he had among the piles and stacks of papers and pictures and, and newspapers he saved and whatever else, there was a computer that had this strange game called, I think, Babies, that B-A-B-I-E-Z. And you basically cared for babies as much as you can in a children's 90s computer game. But uh, Hannah and I, we liked to, to click on the babies and drag them to the top of the screen and drop them. And then they would just sort of slowly fall. So I spent a lot of time doing that in Zadie's office, as well as he had a, a scanner so we would just do what kids do and put our hands on it and then scan. And then we'd have 100 pictures of our hands and or our faces or stuff like that. And then probably the thing that stands out the most, though, is he had a skeleton being an orthopedic surgeon. It was maybe about three or four feet in length. And he actually brought that with him when I brought him for show and tell to my preschool class. And I don't really remember much about the presentation, but I do remember sitting there and he brought the skeleton and the kids just staring at the skeleton. That's so cool. We used to waste all of his shaving cream. We would go into the bathroom, which was connected to the office, still is. It was the shaving cream that was gel when it came out of the tube and then turned into foam when you like played with it, or I guess when you would actually use it to shave. And Hannah, my cousin, my little sister, who's three and a half years younger than I am, and myself, the three of us would just spray it on the wall and then rub it around and draw on it, make faces and stuff like that. We went over there every Friday night for Shabbat dinner. They hosted every Friday night. Occasionally, maybe it was at somebody else's house, but every single Friday growing up, that's, that's where we went for dinner. So we always busied ourselves and entertained ourselves that way, finding whatever we could destroy in their house, it seems. <laughs> I do remember in their basement, he had a bunch of records. And I specifically remember like a Puff the Magic Dragon record, which is a very sweet song and playing that. I also remember Zoe must have been maybe four. So I would have been around seven or eight. And we were jumping on their bed and they have... And at that point, they had a wrought iron headboard and we're jumping and I stick my arm out and my sister sort of clotheslines into my arms and lands face first into their headboard and broke her nose. So I do I remember that. And then a family of doctors, Zadie, was there to check her out. I can confirm that it was broken. I wrote my college entry essays on what it was like growing up so close to my family growing up in a family of orthopedic surgeons. And I highlighted that going there every Friday, being a family of orthopedic surgeons, they were constantly talking about work. And what was displayed on their giant, you know, living room TV were these surgical videos where they were as close up, but they're cutting into someone, they're cutting away the muscle, they're exposing the bone, and, and they're commenting on it about, oh, this part went well, uh, I wish I'd done this better. Oh, do you see how fat that person was? And look at the screw placement or whatever. To many people, that might be gory and gross. And to me, it was normal because Zadie made it normal. This was every, it was his life and he loved to share his passions with anybody who would listen and anybody who was around. I studied neuroscience in college as my major and any article Zadie ever read that had to do with the brain in any way, whether it was something chemically or something psychologically, he would make sure to call me and tell me about it. He would save those articles for me. So the next time I went there for Shabbat dinner, it's a stack of things for me to read. And even to this day, he will, when I call him to chat, he will say, 
oh, so tell me what's going on with the brain. And even I have to remind him now I work in a lab that doesn't study the brain all the time, but we still talk about it and he's remembered it. He makes sure to think of me when he thinks of something like that. No one does those love me. Exactly like you. One thing that he did that translated through to his children and my dad, they like to learn little phrases in different languages. So if they meet somebody who maybe like has an Arabic background, they will say this random phrase in Arabic to impress them. It's usually something silly along the lines of, oh, have you eaten peanut butter today? And then they like laugh about it. So I remember talking about that kind of stuff and how you can connect with people like that. And I have a very specific memory for some reason. When Zadie learns new words and he likes to learn new words all the time, sometimes he'll tell you about them. Um, And he learned about one called Spoonerisms. And I think it's when you switch two letters in a word by accident or when you switch two words that sound similar or something like that. And he really liked that it was called a Spoonerism. The biggest lesson I've learned, and I would imagine anybody would take away from interacting with him, is to just talk to people, approach them, interact with them. Not necessarily don't judge them right away, but just give everybody the same respect you would give anybody else. Learn their story, learn about them, ask them questions, really make it a point to talk to people. Very recently, this past summer, so less a little bit less than a year ago, he listened to a graduation speech. I forget who gave the speech. I don't even know if it was somebody famous, but he really liked that the person giving the speech, it was an all-boys high school class, and he was saying, when you go on to undergrad, take the time to talk to the janitor and speak to the janitor who everybody always walks past, get to know them and their story. And so Zadie had me listen to this whole speech. And that was the part of it that really resonated with him. And you can see why, because that's how Zadie lives his life. All of his patients remember him and are grateful to him. Uh, A couple of years ago, they either found a letter or something like that, that had unearthed where someone was injured or needing help in some orthopedic fashion, didn't have the money or the insurance or whatever it was. And, and Zadie and was turned away by everybody. Zadie was like, you need help. I will take care of you. This is what I do. And he, in a way, saved this guy's life because in this letter, this man wrote, thanking my Zadie, it mentioned how he went on to become a doctor himself because of the way Zadie had treated him. And because of the opportunities he was afforded because he was able to get the care he needed. It was really interesting to see how Zadie and all of his siblings turned out differently because you always hear some people will rise above and will make positive changes in their life because of the negative things that happen to them. Some people will succumb to the depression that it causes. Some people will live their lives in denial. And and you can really see the difference in each of his siblings, how they handled their childhood and their growing up. And Zadie, it seems to me, is absolutely one of those people who was like, I am going to solve problems from here on out. I am going to help people. I am going to create a better world than what I came from, is my interpretation. And it's a very tough decision to make, let alone stick with and make happen. And I think it just, it furthers the point that he is just a strong, positive force in this world. Never forgets a birthday, never forgets a person's name, which is you know, I worked in summer camps for a lot of my life where I worked at Camp Michigania, which Zadie introduced to my whole family. And you get hundreds of families, which means thousands of people rotating every week. 
And I would be like, how can I remember who's who? And Zadie probably interacts with very similar numbers of people throughout his lifetime and remembers everybody, their names, their parents, their story, a small but important detail about them where people always go, yeah, wow, even I forgot about that. When they say someone's one of a kind, that's Zadie. It's easy to say, be nice to people. It's easy to picture, oh, what it's like to hold the door for someone or to, hi, how are you today? But it's so hard to describe what it is like to come from a generation of people from a line of family and to really be around someone where that's genuine and from within who they are, that they get happiness and joy out of learning about other people and out of making other people's lives better. And it's not the sort of double-edged, oh, I help people because I'm such a good person. Look at me. He doesn't need recognition for any of it. He just enjoys being a good person, however you would describe what a good person is. But I think I would just want people to understand really the lessons that you can learn from even just watching someone interact with people on that level and find connections so effortlessly and be so fluid, remembering the small details and paying attention to the daily lives of people and and how impactful that can be, even if it seems so small. I think I would also just want people to know that you can overcome really anything if you just rewire your brain a little bit and tell yourself, I am strong and I can do this because I have to imagine Zadie had to tell himself at one point every day, I can do this. The challenges of his childhood, the challenges of being Jewish, the challenges of not coming from a ton of money, for example, like some people today come from so much money and can do so much. And just reminding yourself, believing in yourself and trusting yourself. Those are the things he showed. He was just so funny. (laughs) He's just such a funny person, which makes everybody happy because he's there telling jokes. People remember him. A couple years ago was his, he had his 50th um, medical school like anniversary or something like that or working with the hospital and he was like you know maybe one of three people to ever make it that far because people retire and he he doesn't want he is an orthopedic surgeon to his core he helps people that's who he is and when you truly find you know what you love you just do it forever whether it's working interacting with people what have you Can I tell a quick, funny kind of story, I guess? So I work for U of M in the A. Alfred Taubman Biomedical Sciences Research Building, which is, it's just a building there. And there's an atrium lobby sort of situation where they often put on events and then all of the research labs are upstairs or below that. Because I work there, I tend to get very annoyed when there are events going on because I can't just walk to my elevator. I have to walk around everyone and avoid everybody. And a couple months ago, there was another event going on and I was working and Zadie calls me probably around lunchtime. He says, oh, I'm I'm in Ann Arbor. I'm on the bus back to where we were eating. Like, where do you work? Can I come say hi? And I told him where I worked and he was like, oh, we were just there. And I was like, you were there? And he said, yeah, I just had my like medical school reunion. And I was like, that was you guys. I walked past you probably four times in an hour and I didn't even know. And then you hear him being like, how do we turn this bus around? And I was like, I don't think you can, but it's okay. So it was funny. 
And his picture is on the wall in, in the hospital system because they have the pictures of all the graduating classes. We have a family friend who was hospitalized there and Stevie came to visit me at work and then we went to go visit our friend and we spent a couple minutes walking along the hallways trying to find Zadie's picture. He was a very handsome young man. Zadie had one of those extendo forks that he would take with him to restaurants, extend, and then eat off of other people's tables when they were there or done eating. Sometimes they'd be sitting there and he would just, it was, they always laughed because <laughs> how can you not laugh when some old man is sticking their fork from six feet away into your food? <laughs> My dad tells some hilarious stories about how when they went on vacations, things weren't always really well planned and they would just maybe drive down to Florida and figure it out when they got there. And if maybe their hotel didn't have a pool, they would find a pool to go swimming in. And then I think it's one of my dad's favorite stories where they laid all their bathing suits out on top of the hedges to dry and then the cleaning crew took them all. <laughs> and then they had no, no more bathing suits because they snuck into somebody's pool or something. Another one of my dad's favorite stories is the time they went on the road trip and someone apparently forgot to secure the luggage and they're driving down the freeway and my dad remembers looking out the rear window and just seeing... Oh, there goes some shoes. There goes some underwear. Oh, there's more clothes. And when they got to their destination, they had nothing. <laughs> Those are all like pleasant, happy memories. Nobody seems, at least from the stories, nobody seemed to have been annoyed. And they just took it as it came and said, okay, we'll just adapt and, and go next. See what we have to do. <laughs> My dad never locked any of our doors growing up because everybody just walked into each other's homes and it drove my mom insane. Or he'd be like, oh, it's okay. Let's just do this on a whim. And my mom would be like, no, we need a plan. We have to know that we know where we're staying and stuff like that. Obviously, now is not the best time to go visit because of this pandemic. But if I wanted to, I could just walk right into any of their homes at any time of day if I needed to. Who knows if there's some emergency and I needed to go inside somewhere. I, I know Zadie. I can always go inside there and be safe. The Herb Mendelson Story is a production of Tribal Knowledge Podcasting. The executive producer is Jeremy Shear. The associate producer is Hannah Levine.